0: Hello listeners, my name is Rhea and my name's Isha and we are so excited to be talking to you about one of our most favorite habitats, the ocean. Throughout this episode, we will be interviewing Mr. Tom Siati, who is the co-vice president of the Fr- Friends of Fritz Gerald Marine Reserve here in Moss Beach, California, which is a volunteer run nonprofit organization. He has been working here for 20 years. Throughout this episode, you will hear clippings of an interview we had with him. We hope you enjoy the episode! The ocean is a body of salt water that covers around 70.8% of the Earth. For the longest time, people and animals have relied on it for food, water, minerals, and for medicine purposes. Did you know that millions of people's jobs and livelihood depends on the ocean? There are boating and fishing industries, recreation, ocean transport, and tourism. Think of the ocean as a- We can eat the ocean? No. What I mean is that the topmost layer of the ocean is called the sunlight zone. And the scientific way of saying the sunlight zone is the epipelagic zone. And the sunlight zone extends from the surface to about 660 feet deep. Then there's the twilight zone, also called the mesopelagic zone, that extends from 660 feet deep to 3,300 feet deep. I guess
1: it is pretty easy to understand why the twilight zone is called the
0: twilight zone. Barely any sunlight would reach those depths. The ocean goes even deeper, though. There's the midnight zone, also called the bathypelagic zone, the abyss zone, also called the abyssopelagic zone, and finally the trench, also called the hadopelagic zone. Did you know that the trench is so cold? It is actually just above freezing. Wow! But did you know that the deepest trench in the ocean is actually the Mariana Trench? which is located in the western north pacific ocean it is 43 miles wide and seven miles deep but now i'm wondering are there different habitats in the ocean too actually there are ocean habitats can be sorted
1: into two different categories coastal habitat and open ocean habitats there's so many habitats in the ocean, such as kelp
0: forests, coral reefs, and tide pools. Wow, so wait, there are swimming pools in the ocean? What did you mean by tide pools? Well, Rhea, a tide pool is an isolated
1: pocket of seawater found in the ocean's intertidal zone. Mr. Tom, how are tide pools formed, and do we find tide pools everywhere? A lot of places don't have tide pools. Mm-hmm. You order to have tide pools, you
2: have to have a fairly shallow area that, when the tide goes out, is, is exposed. And that has to do with the geology of, of uh, the area out there. There's a fault line that runs through there, and on the west side of the fault line is being pushed up. Oh, so that's why you've got all that reef exposed is because it's being geologically pushed up. And it's moving north, it, that side is moving up and north, very slowly. Wow. And so actually, if you go out there and you look in in, in the in the reef there, you see a lot of uh, whale, whale fossil. And you say, how did the whale get there in the tide pools? Well, it, that area of the tide pool, uh, the, the area of the rock out there is about three to five million years old. In the three, five, three to five million years, it's moved about 40 miles north
1: can be really small and only hold as much as your beach field toy but some can be really big about the size of a baby pool we were wondering what makes Fitzgerald unique and how did it become a marine reserve it was unique because it sort of sat in in a in a look where it was the southernmost area in which a lot of the
2: northern species were found and it was the northernmost beach area in which a lot of the southern species were found. So it had this really interesting, diverse wow. animals thing. And there was a lot of I don't know whether you looked at, at what happened, what, what the, as as this, but there's a, a current that runs off the coast here and it causes upwelling and it brings cold water up that has a lot of nutrients in it, which causes really excessive growth and so this was a very diverse area with a lot of diversity and a lot of a a lot of activity in the marine marine environment and as far as when it was started um going back to right at the beginning of the 20th century it was an area that was because of all this diversity people were out there harvesting a lot of because there was a lot out there and and because it was had all this diversity it was a place where the universities came to like the marine biologists from UC Berkeley came over here a lot to study things and they started to be concerned about how much was being taken out of the, out of this area and felt that that if it kept up that it would become barren and so in in the mid 1960s They, together with some local residents here who were also concerned about what was going on out there, the amount of tape that was happening, petitioned the state and the county to form the reserve.
1: Tide pools hold a great diversity of life, such as sea anemones, starfishes, mussels, sea urchins, and even some octopuses. What are some of the changes you've
2: seen over the years? Of changes just in what you see out there. Um, the number of uh, has been the both the diversity and the number have been going down over the last 20 years. So, for instance, in, in 2013, we had a major disease that affected the sea stars, and we lost a lot of our sea stars, including some species had not come back. Basically, what would happen is the sea stars would get these white lesions or spots on them and then they just fall apart. Wow. They just melted. Their their flesh just sort of melted.
1: Oh, wow. And that's because of the
2: heat? Well, it probably affected the bacteria and the viruses that um, were part of their environment. Okay. caused them to be more susceptible. It probably affected their immune systems and made them less immune to some of those critters you do know that even though the water out there looks clear that in two drops of water there are a million bacteria and 10 million viruses
0: wow many animals that live in tide pools have shells or covering because they can close their shells to protect them from predators or temperature Are there any special adaptations that you see that animals that live in tide pools have that other animals that live outside tide pools might not have? So, like, does a starfish in a tide pool have um different adaptations than a starfish not in a tide pool? Well,
2: sea stars are able to shut down their metabolism. So when they're they breathe through their skin, okay. So they basically shut down their metabolism. They they. They hibernate, if you will, for a short period of time.
0: This is getting pretty fascinating here.
2: They basically shut down. Other things also attach very, very tightly. When you're when out you're, um, of the water, most of the type of animals try to hang on and stay wet. And so a lot of them have different strategies for doing that. Uh-huh. You know, like the like the anemones. they fill their their guts with water and then they close up and they cover themselves with sand which is which acts like a sunscreen for them
0: why buy sunscreen next time i go to the beach i'm just gonna cover myself up with sand so that's that's how
2: they survive being out of the water
0: since tide pools are so uncommon i wonder what we can do to protect them so Are they important generally in the ecosystem? what would
1: happen if we didn't have tide pools? Would the rest of the ecosystem, like the actual ocean, get affected?
2: Probably. um, You have to remember that most of the animals that live in tide pools are um, broadcast spawners. Um, That means that the males will throw their sperm into the ocean, females will throw their eggs into the ocean. The eggs will get fertilized and then the larvae that come from fertilized eggs are out in the ocean. So a lot of the food that is in the in the ocean comes from animals in the tide pool, the larvae. Oh, wow. So, you know, because you've got a lot of that going on, that also that, that affects the, ultimately the food chains throughout the ocean.
0: So, is there like a percentage of how much food comes from tide
2: pools, then? Mm, I don't know the answer to that one. No, <laughs> certainly close in. I mean, maybe deep, far, far out in the ocean, that's not the case. But closer in, where the continental where the continental shelf ends, it's probably a really important to the overall ecology.
0: What can we do to conserve tide pools as kids?
2: What can you do as kids? Um, you can urge your parents to vote for people who care about the environment. Okay. Probably the most important thing you can do. You yourselves can try to be, try to cut down on the amount of pollution. You know, be careful of what you, what you eat. Be careful of what you burn. You know, try to try to be ecological. Um, you know, cut down on the amount of plastics that you do. Mm-hmm. Travel. You know, ride your bike rather than getting in the car. (laughs) Fossil fuels, probably the political stuff is the biggest thing we can do right now, is to get people in our government that are going to actually address climate change.
0: Thank you so much, Mr. Tom, for the advice. I'll definitely start doing that more often. Listeners, if you're absolutely dying to
1: know more about tide pools, we will be releasing an episode soon with the whole of the interview we had with Mr. Tom. He had so much awesome information that we couldn't fit it all into one episode, but I recommend listening to it. If you're really interesting in Thai post now, Bye! bye.